you've been doing your personal worship here at Rio, then you know that this week we have transitioned actually out of the book of Exodus, and we've transitioned into the book of Joshua, where we're going to spend today in the next couple of weeks looking at just the first six chapters, and I thought I'd tell you why we're going to do that. So two reasons. Reason number one is because we want to give you an example from the Bible of why it is that you can believe that you have a God who keeps His promises. That you have a God that's not, I'm just going to say it, like me or, or like you, and I, you know, we make promises all the time, guys, and we, we don't always keep them, and sometimes we make promises that we know in advance that we're not going to keep, and other times we make promises that we are absolutely, you know, dead set on keeping, but we can't keep because there were circumstances we didn't foresee, because there were resources that we didn't realize that we were going to need, because something else happened in our life, and it's like, oh man, wait a minute, that's going to have to take a back seat to this, and we have to go to these people and go, hey, you know what, I'm really sorry. But here's what's happened. Here's what's transpired. Here's why I can't fulfill my promise. It doesn't happen with God. He is the all-wise God. He knows everything. He foresees everything. He ordains everything before it happens. And He is not limited as we. So when He says something like, I'm going to do this for you, and He does that. And he does that for the people of Israel. And so throughout the course of the book of Exodus, we're watching as God delivers these people, incidentally, as he promised that he would, and he brings them out of 430 years of slavery. He takes them through the wilderness, and he promises them in the process of all of this, the same promise that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, all of their forefathers, and to Moses as well. He promises them a land of their own. We're going into the book of Joshua because that's where they go into the land. And I want you to see that you have a God who keeps his promises. But I want you to see that for a reason. Lots of reasons, but I'm going to give you one, and this is the second reason we're going into Joshua for three weeks. And that is because that we have a God who keeps His promises. We really and truly do not have to live lives that are full of fear and anxiety and panic. And I just thought that this would be a good time to just kind of stop and have like a deep breath. Do you ever do that? Let me show you how to do it. It's really cool. You got to breathe with your diaphragm, okay? Anxious breathing is from here up. Diaphragmatic breathing, you just go, it's not very flattering, okay? But it's just like, oh. So do that. You ready? One, two, three. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you belong to him. And as you make your way through the Bible, if you're looking for characters in the Scriptures who had every reason, humanly speaking, to really be fearful and anxious and panic-stricken, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who is better suited for that, you know, description than Joshua. And the reason for that, very simply, is because Joshua is the guy, is the guy who takes over the leadership of the nation of Israel from Moses. And I want you to just kind of think about that with me for a minute because that's hugely intimidating. Moses is the guy that God met with in the burning bush, like visibly, audibly met with in the burning bush. Moses is the guy whom God used to bring the people of Israel out of 430 years of slavery and oppression and death to the most powerful nation in the world at that time, which is Egypt. And how did he do it? Well, he did it through Moses by doing 10 undeniably miraculous plagues. It's amazing. Moses is the guy who stood at the shores of the Red Sea with all of his people huddled around him in fear as Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them, so it's certain death for everyone. Okay, Moses took his staff, not anyone else, raised it up, and the waters parted. That's Moses. They're thirsty. Moses brings forth water from a rock. I mean, God's doing it, but through Moses. They're hungry. Moses brings forth manna. 
bread from heaven. Moses meets with God regularly face to face. Anybody here can say that? I mean, like in the way that he did it? Moses goes up on the mountain of God to get the law of God, the Ten Commandments and all the rest of it, and to bring it down to the people of God. Moses, at this point in time, when Joshua takes over leadership, is the only author, humanly speaking, of the Bible at this point. I mean, Moses is an extraordinary guy. And here's what Moses does. He takes the people of Israel. He takes them out of Egypt. He leads them through 40 years, by the way, he had been their leader, through the wilderness. He brings them up to the border of the Promised Land, the Jordan River, which represents the single greatest challenge of this generation of Israelites. Here's why I say that, because these are not a warlike people. These are a people that have been enslaved for 430 years, and now they're going to go up into this land full of warlike people, and their commission is to go into the land and to drive out all of the inhabitants of the land militarily. A little bit intimidating. So Moses brings them all the way up to the edge, and then he dies and leaves the job to Joshua. You know, like, you're welcome. Here you go. And the way that he died, I mean, at least in my opinion, didn't help because he went off by himself to die. And then he died, and then no one ever saw his body, and no one knew where he was buried. So we're talking about two to three million people here, okay? Like, there have got to be Moses sightings in the camp, don't you think? I mean, there have got to be people who are going, I don't know, man, I think we should just stay here and wait for Moses. You know, last I saw, he was heading that way. Maybe he just got lost and he's coming back. It's like Elvis. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Except we know where Elvis is buried. Or do we? But um, <laughs> probably we do. And every time, you've got to believe at the beginning of his leadership at least that Joshua said something or did something and made a decision or whatever, there had to be at least a few hundred thousand people going, oh, well, Moses would have never done that, and Moses would have never said that. And I know what Moses thinks about that because he told me this in a private conversation, and the last time we faced this, Moses did it a different way. I mean, it was enough to make you crazy. I don't know how this man slept at night. Honestly, think about that for a minute. So now we come to Joshua's story, and we come... In the moment in his life, or maybe more than any other, he had every reason to be a fearful, anxious, panic-stricken mess. But before we enter into it, I want you to go into your story. It's where you live. And I want you to ask yourself two questions. Number one, what makes me fearful, anxious, and panic-stricken? Might be one thing, or maybe at this stage in life, it might be almost anything. And the second question is, what am I doing about it? What am I doing about it? Because where it is, it's absolutely true that there are medications that when properly prescribed and used and supervised by a physician and supplements that when properly prescribed and used and supervised by, by a, a, a physician, that, you know, it's also true that there's counseling and self-management techniques that are really massively helpful and that God uses all of these things to help deliver us, or at least to help us manage. He does. I believe that. It is also absolutely true that God is our hope, that God is our deliverer. Those are the means to the end. They are instruments in His hand that He alone is the one that we look to. And that this fight against fear and anxiety and, and panic, and I, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, it's a fight. It's like a bloody-knuckle fight. It is a fight that we are to take up by faith. 
So we come to the moment in Joshua's life where like his fear, anxiety, and panic is basically at its apex. And we come to the word of the Lord to him, but not just to him, to us. So we come looking for, okay, Lord, what's in this for me? And God says some very helpful things, beginning in Joshua 1, verse 1, where we read that after the death of Moses, now notice the difference in titles here, okay? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, what does he say? First words, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, Joshua, I know that Moses was last seen walking away from the camp all by himself. I know that nobody has seen the body. Nobody knows where he is buried. I know that there have been several Moses sightings. I know that people have traveled now to go to Las Vegas to see, you know, Moses impersonations. I, I know even, Joshua, that you wish that Moses deep down in your heart was still alive, and not just because he was your friend and your mentor, but so that you could take this massive weight and put it back on his shoulders. I know you want to do that. <laughs> but Moses is dead, so let's settle that. And what that means, practically speaking, for you, Joshua, is that this is the moment in your life where you are going to have to rise up and face everything that's terrifying to you. It's the time for you to face your fear because you're not going to be able to accomplish my mission for your life unless you face those fears. And again, our story, okay? That's true for us too, is it not? It is. I mean, I think that maximal effectiveness for God's mission in my life and in yours is going to require us at times to face our fears. And here's why I say that. Because here's the way that fear and panic and anxiety work. They take your life and then they make it progressively smaller. You notice that? Because here's what happens. You have a panic attack. You think that you're going to die. You're not actually going to die. You're just experiencing fight or flight, but at a really surprising and unexpected time. So now you can't breathe. You're, you should be belly breathing. It's a good, by the way, technique. But really, like you, you can't breathe. You're starting to sweat. Your hands are beginning to tingle. And you think to yourself, I got to get out of here. Like, I just, I, I just, I, I got to get out of here. And you just get up and walk out of whatever circumstance it is perhaps that you're in. Or you pass out. And then you wake up and your body has reset and you're okay. But here's the deal. It's terrifying. It's out of your control. And you think... I don't know what I have to do to not have that happen to me again, but whatever it is, that's what I'm going to do. So whatever those circumstances were that I was involved in when that occurred, I'm not going to do that anymore. And what happens? Your world gets smaller. But you're okay with that as long as it doesn't happen again until it does in a different set of circumstances. And then your world gets smaller. And you're less okay with it because now you're starting to wonder and then it happens again in a different set of circumstances, and now you begin to freak out, because now you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm pretty sure that this can happen to me anytime, any place, anywhere. And the more sure you are that that can in fact occur, the more likely it is that that will in fact occur. It's all in here. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. What you're afraid of is fear itself. And so maybe it starts in a boardroom or it starts with a sales presentation or it starts on the first day of school 
Maybe it starts with your first parent-teacher conference. I mean, that's got to be intimidating as a teacher, isn't it? Parents are scary, man. <laughs> Keep that in mind if you're a parent. Like, you can be either really encouraging and love on this person who you're in this together with, or you can wreck them, you know? Like, there's power there. Use it kindly, all right? But it starts in kind of a predictable place, and then it spreads like a rash. And the next thing you know, you're having breakfast with a friend of yours, and there's no agenda, and there's no pressure, and there's no… I mean, like, there is zero reason for you to have any issues at all, and you're like, yeah, I got to leave. And you say, well, Tom, how do you know all of this? Because that's my story. I've done it. I've lived through it. I still live with it. I get it. I know the bare-knuckle fight. You know, I shared this with you guys, I don't know, a while back, but, you know, we went through a season, we went through a year <laughs> of a lot of stuff. And I think uh, as I look back on it, I've learned a lot about myself and about it. I think that I ran too hard, too fast, and which, with too little rest for about 16 years straight. Uh, so that wasn't a good idea, as it turns out. But that is my personality, which is, I've also learned a lot about. If you've ever taken the DISC analysis, I'm not necessarily proud of this, to be honest, because it's not easy, but I'm the, I'm the most extreme D on the, of the D personalities. And um, I think God has really tempered and softened and broken me. Uh, but that's, that's a tough thing to deal with, honestly. So I think that was part of it. And then we had this whole just wave of events in our family, including really wonderful and amazing but big emotional transitions. And one day I'm having breakfast with this guy, and I'm like, Hey, I had two cups of coffee, which I've sworn off, haven't had any since. That's also not been fun. Uh, and, I, and I just said to him, I'm like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. This is going to be terrifically awkward. I hope you're okay with this, but I'm, I just, I got to go. And I got up and walked out. And thus began the journey. That began the fight. And here's one of the many things that I've learned. I've learned that you cannot run from it. Wherever you run, there it will be. You can't run fast enough. You can't run far enough. You cannot hide. It finds you out. So you can't run from it. What must you do? You must run at it. You must face it. Eleanor Roosevelt said this. She said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face as opposed to turning and running away from it. For when you do that, you're then able to say to yourself, I lived through this horror, so I can take the next thing that comes along. You must, she says, do the thing that you think you cannot do, which is exactly what God is commanding Joshua to do. He's coming to him, and he's saying, look, bud, Moses, my servant, is dead. And then he continues. He says, now, therefore, arise and face your fears. You're going to run at him, pal. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them and to the people of Israel. And then here's what I'm going to do for you, Joshua, but here's the catch. You're not going to know that I've done this for you until after I've done this for you. And in the meantime, every single battle you have, every day that you go out to lead, you're going to need me to get this done or you will lose your life and the lives of your family and all of these people. So in other words, everybody is going to stake their lives on whether or not I'm going to keep these promises, but I'm going to keep these promises. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. And then he says what? Look for what he's saying. How do we deal with fear and anxiety? 
He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Now, I haven't given it to you yet, Joshua, but here's the deal. It's the difference between me and you, Joshua, and frankly, me and everyone else. I keep my promises, and when I make a statement, it's as good as done, so I can speak of it in the past tense. There's no contingency I haven't foreseen. There's no barrier that I can't push through. And so every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I, what, promised to Moses. And now he gives them the dimensions of the land that they will take. He says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And Joshua, by the way, don't miss this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life for just as I was with Moses, what? So I will be with you. And not only that, but I will not leave you nor forsake you. And so then Joshua, having heard my promises, it's one of the keys, having recognized my presence, that's another thing he's saying, do what then? Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, now he says a second time, amps it up, being careful to do what else? to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left so that you may have good success wherever you go. In fact, this book of the law that I delivered to you through Moses shall not depart from your mouth. I want you thinking about it. I want you to speaking about it. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. But, but what kind of success? Like success against what? Well, in his case, against everything that he is afraid of in this moment. And the Lord says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what's the prescription for Joshua? Because I think that it's a prescription we can take up. In other words, what do we need to do to face our fears and anxieties and occasionally panic? I think the first thing that we need to do is to trust in God's promises. In other words, we must believe in our gut in a way that then really begins to show up in our lives that the God that we came into the presence of this morning is real for starters. And then that beyond that, He is who He says that He is. And then that beyond that, because He is who He says that He is and He's real, He will do what He says He will do. There are no contingencies that He hasn't foreseen. There's no there's no barrier that's going to all of a sudden pop up and God's going to have to come back to us and go, hey, you know, I know I told you I was going to do this, but that was before this happened, and now I can't, and this, and, you know, I hope that you'll understand, and I'll do what I can down the… Our God is a God who keeps His promises. Joshua is in a major crisis, and God comes to him and says, let me solve the crisis for you. So here's how I'm going to do it in part. I'm going to make some promises to you. And you say, well, good for Joshua. And by the way, hooray for those promises. Like, that's amazing. Every place that the sole of your foot treads, I'm going to give it to you. No man will be able to stand up. You know, what has God promised me? Okay. I'm watching out for my D personality, okay? I'm going to say this kindly and softly. Why don't you know the answer to that question? He's given all of his promises to you in his word. 
His word is on your phone. His word is on your desk. It's in your closet. It might be in your car. I have one in my car and on my phone. No, really, I mean, seriously, think about it. I don't say that to like, you know, be demeaning or I'm just, I'm saying to you, my goodness, there is life in this book. There is hope in this book. There are anchors in this book that we can tie our lives to in such a way as to make them stable and wise and righteous and good. Take it up and read it. Study the book. So we must trust in God's promises, and His Word is all full of it. But secondly, we must obey God's Word. And I'm sure you notice we're to meditate in it day and night, we're to talk about it. It's not supposed to leave our mouths, meaning we're supposed to keep talking about it constantly and continuously. It's remarkable. For from God's Word comes not only His wisdom and His guidance and His direction and His perspective and His rebuke and His instruction and all of His promises, but from God's Word also comes the very faith that we need by which to believe those promises and to live out that instruction. Now, why do I say that? Because He tells us Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He's talking about the Bible. He's saying, listen, here's the deal. When you spend time in the mind of God, your mind becomes more like the mind of God. When you spend time in the heart of God, your heart becomes more like the heart of God, and you draw near to each other. You come to know Him, to realize who He is and what He's like, and that He's real, and that He speaks. You open it and he says that right there, that obscure passage of Scripture that you've already read 50 times maybe or never before, believe it or not, is for you. And you know it. You just kind of just, you go, yeah, that one's mine. That's me today. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's the way that it works. As our faith goes up, as we, we read God's Word and study it, our stress levels go down. Anyway, we must trust in God's promises, obey God's word, and then finally, we must rest in God's presence. Of all of the great promises Joshua received that day, and I mean, they were pretty startling. They were amazing. The greatest promise he received was the promise of the presence of the Lord. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I would just say, you know what, that promise is mine, and that promise is yours too through the gospel of Jesus Christ by which we are assured that absolutely everything between us and a perfectly holy and almighty God are absolutely good. And why are they good? Because we're good now. We, we, we know that. We're smart enough to realize that's not the case. They're good because Jesus is good, and He has given His perfectly good life as a substitute for ours. His good has covered our bad and has freed us to walk in relationship with Almighty God and to be filled with His Spirit and to know His presence in our lives. We just need to wake up to it. We need to look for Him in His Word. We need to come to understand His voice. So, what makes you fearful, anxious, and panic-stricken? What is it? Is it a thing? Is it everything? It's like a rash, so it does grow. Sorry. What are you doing about it? Medications are helpful. Counseling is helpful. Supplements are helpful. Exercise is helpful. I exercise a ton. And, you know, not because I'm worried about what I look like on the beach. It's my medication in a, in a way, really. It's one of the things that I do. All of those things are helpful. Those things are wisdom. Those are means that God uses to help you. 
But God is your hope. God is your deliverer. God is the one who stands in and through and behind it all. God is the one who walks with you in it all. You are not alone. And we fight it in faith. And that's what we must do. Running from it doesn't work. Wherever you go, there it is. We fight it in faith together with Him, trusting in His promises, seeking to be obedient to His Word, safety and obedience, and resting in His presence. God comes to us, and in this, He says, okay, so here's what I'm going to give you. Are you ready? This is awesome. I'm going to give you me. I will take that. I find that very helpful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your word, which um, holds forth you. It tells us about you. It instructs us. It guides us. It contains all of your marvelous and amazing promises to us. Lord, it gives us your mind. It shows us your heart. It's the instrument through which your Holy Spirit speaks to us even today. And you are a great communicator. I pray, Lord, that, that you would speak to us today through this word of yours and that you would speak to us today about your word, that we might take it up and know it and knowing it, know you and the freedom for which Christ Jesus came to set us free. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and we praise you that by your Spirit you take up residence within those of us who trust in Jesus, our sins forgiven, our lives renewed that there is power in your spirit, that there is presence that is real in your spirit. We pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit individually and as families and as a church. We pray that you would fill your church in this city, in our county and region. Pour your spirit out upon us, Lord, that in your palpable presence, we might know your peace. Do these things, we pray, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.